0: to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's TNA podcast, brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself, Ritvik, the host, and I'm joined today with my co-host Chris. Welcome back, Chris.
1: Thank you, thank you. Very, very good to be back this week's Show yeah. Uh, yeah. looking forward to it. The agenda fa- items, anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, a fantastic week of Premier League action, especially. I mean not not very happy as a liverpool fan because BAR B- screwed up now uh i mean again and again this season so it's not <laughs> a ha- happy day but quite quite happy because you know, chelsea dropped points, spurs dropped points, everton lost
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah.
0: yeah so yeah coming into the agenda first i mean we'll touch everton but first things first the big game of the weekend the london derby not north yeah. london derby but the london derby spurs versus yeah. chelsea i mean was it was quite a dull game but what, you, what what did you make out of this game chris because it was pretty dull and neither sides caused any much threat
1: yeah it was it's was quite an intriguing game though i thought when i when i was watching it i thought in the in the first half it was pretty even i thought both chances against but both teams didn't really create any clear-cut chances, but they created got themselves into good positions to create opportunities. I think in the second half, Ch- Chelsea, were look certainly looking more likely without ever really threatening. Again, Spurs didn't really. I don't know if it was a ploy by Mourinho to actually just play for the point in the second half. But I think the more the second half went on, they certainly they say they certainly looked like they they were happy to take the point, but. I thought it was a fair result in the end. Again, Chelsea I heard Frank Lampard say after the game over they think that he felt like they deserved deserve to win the game in the second half. I don't know I don't know if he would have went that far. Again, I don't really look at any any of their opportunities. I think oh he should have buried that. Maybe Giroud should have done a lot better towards the end. And and I know Mason Mountain has made uh, Hugo Lloris do a good save, but you don't look at them and a thirty yard or twenty five yard shot and sort of say. He should have scored. It was a good effort and it was a good save, but other than that, nothing really much happened. Other than Tottenham just basically showing that they can hold out against a better better quality of player.
0: Yep, and uh, I mean something that that I found pretty intriguing was that Chelsea players created more shot creating actions than the Spurs players. So. There's a total of yeah. 20 20 short creating actions from the Chelsea team and just 8 from Spurs and this is yeah. the stats are courtesy of football reference the, so, something that I saw from Chelsea was that especially in the second half Reese James Hakim Ziyech combining on the right side where they kind of caused a little bit more threat and they had some deliveries into Tammy Abraham so did you think that Tammy should have probably done a bit better
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's not—he's not going not to get better crosses than that this season. And I mean, they were—they were on a plate, and for him to not even make the keeper work, he'll be massively disappointed. With that and so, they—they in in games like this, when those when someone's putting a cross in like that, when it just—it it was a perfect cross from Rees James. It really was. You've—you've got to be connected with that. Everything was just perfect. The pace of the ball. The position of the cross, the area that it was put into, and it was perfectly timed for Tammy Abraham's run as well. He, Tammy Abraham's made good movement to get there, but then from not to from not to make Hugo Lloris work, there he's got to be he's got to be he's got to be putting those chances away. If Chelsea is serious about challenging Liverpool for the title this year, you've got to be you when those opportunities come in games like that, they they're the moments that count and he'll he'll be massively disappointed with that when looking back and he and he should be as well he should be you've got i I look at it the other way um think if a tottenham player put that onto harry kane it's 1-0 isn't it tottenham tottenham scored there totally and that's best, where yeah. that's where che- chelsea've got to be be disappointed that disappointed that they didn't take those opportunities Or, again at least make the keeper work I me mean, if Tammy Abraham comes comes rushing in there, hits that with a perfect connection, and you go pulls off an absolutely world class save to prevent it going in the goal, then you sort of say, "Well, what more can he do there?" You've got to give the keeper credit; it's a world class save in that scenario. But he hasn't, he hasn't even done that,
0: so it's got to go down as a missed, a missed moment. Yeah, yeah, obviously because those crosses, like you said, were really, really exceptional from Reese James and. You you yeah. can't have better crosses than that. Yeah. And yeah, coming to Spurs, they had this one shot on target the whole game. You look at the expected goals, both teams had. Chelsea had one. Spurs had yeah. point two. And from 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 that one that Chelsea had, half of that was Tammy Abraham, was is accounted to Tammy Abraham. But as for Spurs, yeah. Tamboy and Dombele last season was kind of seen as an outcast. I, I didn't think so. Because I, I, I loved him back when he was at Lyon as well. I loved watching him play. He's technically really good. I mean, Tim Sherwood mentioned that he thinks he's more similar to Musa Sisoku who just runs around. Which is an awful take, right? But what's your, what's, what's your whole take on Ndombele? And did you think he impressed you? And what's your take on this? I, I would say it's kind of a racial stereotyping. <laughs> or, or probably I, I would say what do you think of Tim Sherwood's punditry as
1: well yeah, <laughs> yeah well, we'll, we'll get to Tim Sherwood in a minute but
0: yeah I agree with the
1: critics that he received last year I think given the price tag and his ability as a player the performances just wasn't there now I know Tottenham struggled we, we know they didn't get off to a good start under Mauricio Paticino which effectively cost him his job and I can't really think of many players that were performing under him up until he got sacked. Jose Mourinho came in, things were in a quick turn. I mean, some of the results improved, but in terms of performance, I don't really think they were quite there. Tottenham last year, and it was the same with and there there's, there's always been a player there. There's no doubt, question about that. Some of his attributes and what he can offer on a football pitch is, is fantastic, but there's no point in you can't get called a good player until you actually show it and you show it on a consistent basis. Uh, it did look like towards the back end of the season that maybe maybe Jose Mourinho was playing a bit... I didn't know which way he was playing it, whether he was playing it to try and get a reaction from the player by calling him out or whether he was playing it by to try and tell Daniel Levy, listen, you need to sell him because we can get big money for him and he, he's not suited. But it, it it's thankfully for him it's gone like it looks like he's calling him out to make him play better and he's got a reaction this season he has he has been he's been been instrumental for Tottenham and the way he plays the way what he offers as well again he's not just a runner he's not he's a lot more than that he actually very good distribution stats in terms of what he does with the ball very productive don't know if you've got any stats there to hand to whether to sort of back that up but I'm from what I've seen my, my eye tells me he's very good um, he, he has got technical ability uh, and I would bring Tim Sherwood back to his debut and his debut against Aston Villa at the beginning of last season and his goal shows it was quite a very good goal a very good technical goal that he scored so now there's a lot more to him than just running around he can run around and break up play as well but that's just one of many attributes that make him a good player and it's just down to him now. It's just down to him to keep the 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 form going. And if he keeps the form going, then Tottenham have got a really good centre midfielder. I think Jose Mourinho deserves credit as well because it didn't look like that player was ever going to show itself. But it looks
0: like Mourinho getting the best out of him at the moment. Right. And I mean, he's it's, it's very pleasing to watch. The way he turns the centre of gravity that we speak when we refer to some amazing technical players. The way he moves, it's it's really it's really amazing to watch him play, and I enjoy watching him play as well. And he's he's a player I really really like, especially because he shares the he shares birthday with me. So that's one <laughs> more reason to love him. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But just in regards to Tim Sherwood's comments, I mean, obviously there's a lot of pundits that frustrate me. Obviously, in terms of you think, do they actually watch football? Or what What do they do in preparation for these uh, gigs that they do? And I mean, just because you've been involved in football it doesn't necessarily mean that you're more knowledgeable than the working man on the street, for example. And sometimes I think, do they actually think that we watch them at home, believe in what they say? In regards to his reference here and him being this, just the same player as Sissoko, surely... As an ex-manager, Chin Chewa must know the difference between what a player has got in terms of ability and what a player may be getting asked to do for a certain for a certain game. Has he just watched Tottenham once, maybe this season, where he's asked, and maybe Jose Mourinho's asked Ndabale to do the same job as Sissoko to, uh, to nullify a threat from an opponent? doesn't mean it's not right to label him then as that player. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? it, it would be like I don't know, it'd be like going to watch Messi for the first time and then and, and labeling him <laughs> not good because he hasn't he's not yeah. played well in that game, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? There might be a reason why he's not done it for that specific game. Do you know what I mean? So no, it's very short sighted of him to share with in my opinion, but doesn't surprise me unfortunately. Right, right. I mean,
0: we've we've seen a lot of a lot of poor takes from Sherwood recently yeah. and I I don't I don't know why he keeps popping up with those. So yeah, I mean on, only he knows why. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. again, that's another thing with punditry in
1: this country now. I, I think because of the rivalry between the broadcasters and ev- and the broadcasters fighting for viewing figures and things like that, I look at some of them and I'm thinking, are you saying that to be controversial? Therefore. Sky or BT or BBC, whoever it is broadcasting it, once someone gets a little bit of a controversial comment on there, it sort of goes viral everyone's on Twitter reacting to it everyone's watching it on YouTube so essentially it's better for the broadcaster so then the broadcaster then is more into thinking, oh well we'll get him on next week as well because he might say something else, daft <laughs> do you know what I mean? So when I look at those pundits now, I'm thinking, is that is that what your aim is? You actually don't care what you're saying and the quality of the subject you're speaking on. You're just trying to get back on the week after or the week after that, or trying to get noticed, which which is wrong for me, but I suppose
0: they've all got bills to pay as well. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And moving on from this game to a very familiar topic, Everton Football Club. I mean, we've discussed Everton a couple of times before, uh um, yeah. recently and they came out of the Merseyside Derby with a draw. Was yeah. a good was a good result for them, I would say. But since then it's been downhill. Loss loss, I guess one win and four four losses if I'm not wrong, Chris?
1: Uh Southampton, Newcastle, yeah. Manchester United, yeah, Leeds, yeah. yeah. So one yeah, five games. Obviously there's been an international break in between and but yeah. Five games, one win, four losses,
0: yeah? I mean, after the fantastic start to the season, people expected Everton to probably fight for the top four, which is still possible, which is still open, because the Premier League's been crazy this season. But what do you think exactly has been the problem? Because four losses out of five is not something... That's that's That that happens all of a sudden. There, there has to be something wrong going on behind. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it, there's a number obviously don't want to... I mean, I could go on for hours here. <laughs> so i, I will going try and keep this. But part of the problem is definitely the start that they had. That raised expectation to a, an unnecessary level, really. Now, you mentioned there what has happened in terms of the, the last a couple of league games well what has happened with is reality this is the level that Everton are at and let's not beat around a bush here we've had a fantastic start to the season we're not a team that is capable of finishing in the top four I said and I think on our predicting predictions podcast I think we might be duking it out for sixth place um, and I think I think again may, maybe seventh maybe eighth around that term is that, because that's the level that we're at I mean, we had a fantastic transfer window for, for our club. The plays that he got in improved our first eleven, which it needed to happen just for us to compete uh, with the top half of the table. The club have got those players in; they're competing. But this this is by no means a finished squad, and Everton have got a lot of dead wood at the moment, and a lot of players that just aren't that very good. And this inconsistency at the moment is showing. And that's all it is, really. Um, There are obviously a couple of issues. I think the derby match was sort of, obviously, Richarlison got sent off. We missed him for three games and he's a big player for Everton. He only came back last week. Um, Dinier getting sent off against Southampton. I know the ban was reduced to one game. He's now injured, missed the Leeds game. So just little things like that have... have more of an effect on us I, I don't think the manager's beyond criticism either just because he's Carlo Ancelotti and yes most Everton fans will, will agree as a club we are looking to have an, an, a manager of that that calibre managing us but it doesn't mean he gets everything right every week and the last in particular the last two games I have seen him make a couple of mistakes or some decisions that are very questionable anyway but I still think overall as a season, so far, if you would have said to me at the beginning of the season, this is what's happened and this is how it's happened, I would have took this. Definitely. All I wanted to see from Everton this year was progression from the team that finished last season. And I think we've seen that. uh, If we were the one on Saturday, we would be sitting in fourth place now, given the Chelsea and Leicester results. Uh, We've played the top two teams in the league. And we took four points out of six. That's Tottenham and Liverpool. And we're, we're sat in a position that we are. And we're in the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup. If we beat Manchester United, we're in the semi-final. So, overall, as a season, I don't think we... I, you can't complain. Can't complain. Yes, there yeah. is. We, we can look at back at some results and say, oh, well, oh, look at that, look at that. But... So we got beat by the better team on Saturday. There's no doubt about that. Leeds are a fantastic team. You know, I'm a big you know, Rickwick. I'm a big fan of Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah. Uh, it was once when I got introduced to TNA. Um, my first article was on him and on his previous jobs before the Leeds job. And his his teams will do that to to most teams. They will cause that many problems to most teams. We've seen them cause problems for Liverpool. They certainly caused problems for Everton on the weekend. We've seen them push Arsenal. They should have beat Arsenal. But you'll get chances at the other end against them. And it's just a matter of taking them. Unfortunately, we were lucky with the two offside goals. But we just didn't do enough to to, to create in the second half. But I think, I think the annoying thing as an Everton fan, for me at the moment, is as progressive as the season has been so far, th- th- we're still seeing the same old issues. And that's, the same old players not performing and it's that's not something that can get changed overnight as you know we, we can only eradicate that in transfer windows and it'll be interest, interesting to see what the manager's plan is with them because I believe he should be focusing his attention on a few more of the youth players bringing them through Anthony Gordon has been fantastic in the Carabao Cup he was Everton's best player at the back end of last season I know that wasn't difficult because we was poor after the restart but he's not got a look in, in the league this year, and I'm still seeing Bernard coming off the bench. I'm still seeing Sigurdsson coming off the bench, and it's like, what, 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 what is the manager seeing in these players that the players that the, that the fans are not seeing? Because for me, they just don't do anything at all when they come on, and they don't affect the game in any way, and you just you're just making it even more more difficult in my in my opinion, but. I, th- I still think as well. There's still, even though he, he probably had his best game for a long time on Saturday, uh, but there's still got to be massive issues over the goalkeeper. You no know, massive questions asked about the yeah. goalkeeper and whether he's, a, whether he's here for the long term or not.
0: Yeah, actually, come, I'm, I'm actually coming to that particular point here. Jordan Pickford. I mean, I looked at the stats again from Football Reference and in the Premier League this season, in terms of post Post-shot expected goals to to net goals conceded. In terms of overperformance or underperformance, Pickford is the worst. Pickford has yeah. been the worst. He's on bottom, and that yeah. speaks volumes. That speaks volumes because I mean there, there there have been a lot of incidents where he could have done better and he could have probably saved better better decision-making, better possible saves. Yeah. And even, even even in the Leeds game, I mean, you, 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 you said that it was one of his best games, one of his better games. And I, I totally agree with that. But for that goal, I, I saw him move a little bit towards the right and then jump towards the left so, so that he he gains momentum to dive, but yet couldn't stop the goal. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. call that a mistake. But again, uh, I don't think he's, he's seemingly getting everything right at the moment and things are in, uh, going pretty well for him at the moment. And yeah. I mean, based on the last five, six games, Chris, do you think Pickford's had a big impact on, on your slump?
1: Yeah, he, he always does. And not necessarily on the slump, but his decision-making is poor. It always has been, though. It always has been. Uh, like, his timing to come out and things like that. And what I, what I've seen... I don't want to be I don't want to blame the keeper as a whole I mean against Newcastle Everton we were poor uh, we were poor uh, Manchester United I felt like we gifted them the game we made it too easy for them I thought that Manchester United were there for the taking and Everton didn't especially even though we went one up we just didn't take the opportunity I would probably bring I, 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 his form goes back beyond Everton's current slump now it goes back to the beginning of even when Everton were winning games at the beginning of the season some of the goals that they were conceding were down to him and his ability to shot-stop and I, as well, so, listen, I mean, I was at the end of my tether with him last year, I mean, you brought out that stat that says he's the worst keeper, I mean, he would have been the worst keeper in the league last year had it not been for Kepa at Chelsea, so, it's, that stat is not, not surprising for me, and, again, I just, with Jordan Pickford, I thought, the fact that the European Championships got, postponed to next year and he's a man that clearly loves his country and loves playing for the country and and the area that he comes from the North East is an area that sort of England's still the pinnacle of football if you know what I mean it's still playing for your country that matters as opposed to maybe the rest of the country I thought maybe we might see a different Jordan Pickford this year given the fact that he's going to have to keep that he would have to keep his number one spot Given the fact that the tournament has been postponed, it will give Henderson and Pope a chance to actually establish themselves as England England number one. Now, obviously, Henderson going back to Manchester United and Pope being in goal for Burnley and the horrendous start that they've made has obviously maybe may may have allowed Gareth Southgate to already make his decision regarding England's number one. But I thought Pickford would be focused more. But I think given the goal this. Given the goals that he has conceded, not all of them, because they've not all been down to him, but given and, and given some of the decision making, and given the fact that now I'm actually feeling that Everton's defenders don't have a hundred percent confidence in him, I'm starting to think yeah. that you can't really label label him anything other than an average goalkeeper at best.
0: Yeah, that 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 assessment also seems fair to me because I, I've never been a big fan of. Jordan Pickford and, and and if you remember Chris we discussed this in a podcast with Muhammad uh, a few yeah. a few months ago and he had a similar opinion as well so the, there's, there's a lot that pickford can improve and i don't see those improvements coming in anytime soon the way he's going it's always next season possibly next season possibly and yeah, yeah the the point you made just, about the national team as well it's it's very valid
1: yeah, um, for me, again, another reason, I don't think he's been the same keeper since the World Cup. I don't. I think it's very easy for fans to say that, oh, it's gone to his head. Things, do you know what I mean? When you become not a hero of the World Cup, but obviously he played a pivotal part in the penalty shootout against Colombia. I don't know if he was ever the same keeper once he came back. He didn't seem, unless maybe it's just, he showed potential before that and he had a very good first season at Everton. And you think, well, there's a keeper there. He's still a young lad. There is definitely a keeper there. And if he, if he progresses at the at the rate that he's shown his first year, I thought we'd have a very good keeper. But his progression has either stalled from that World Cup. Maybe it's a little bit of a coincidence, and I'm looking too much in it into it. But he was never really the same, I don't think, when he come back from that. And obviously, Everton give him a massive contract as well, which I don't don't get me wrong. You're probably just secure, and there's a lot more to that than performance these days. As we know, you're just securing a finance deal, really, when you when you put a player on a long-term contract. But he's just not developed in the way that he, he had initially. And I think sooner or later, right. Carlo Carl Ancelotti will make a decision on him. I, I don't think it'll be this season, but I think come the summer, again, I think he was very fortunate. I'm sorry to go on as well. I think Pickford was very fortunate this summer that Everton had other areas on the pitch,
0: other positions on the pitch that they had to prioritize before his. Right, right. That's 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 absolutely fair as well, Chris. I mean yeah. Robin Olson, Robin Olson was brought in as a backup and he, he's not the greatest either, but I think he'll be an able backup though. But Yeah, yeah. I thought he had a
1: good yeah, I thought he had a good game against Newcastle as well. I was I was surprised yeah. that he came in. Um I would maybe would have took Pifford out after the Derby given obviously the incident with Van Dijk. Um, and the, obviously the amount of pressure and media scrutiny surrounding that challenge. Also, I think Riffick, before we go, is he got away with the goal in the last minute, didn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. obviously everything surrounds the VAR decision regarding Henderson's goal. But let's not forget that, regardless of the VAR decision, the ball shouldn't have went into the net because Pickford should have saved it. Do you know what I mean? And he's got away with a massive one there. Because if you if he would have cost us more points in a derby like he did the other year, that would have been that would have been
0: it that would have been it for Everton fans thing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And moving on from Everton now to their rivals, Liverpool, with the team that I yeah. support, obviously. And this is a patent question from Data, Chris. I mean, Liverpool's been stuck with so many injuries right now. You see, Jurgen yeah. Klopp, uh, you know, rang, raging all over with 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 all yeah. these things. And but center backs is something that will probably you know give nightmares for Liverpool fans because they don't have a proper. They have this one fit senior center back to be honest. That is Joel Matip. Yeah, Joel Matip and Fabinho is deputizing, and they have you know. Uh, backups like Nat Phillips and youngster Rhys Williams who's who's not played who's played non-league football before before joining Liverpool so that's the kind of experience that Liverpool have in that department Joe Gomez Van Dyke out for lengthy periods and DJ's question is do you think Liverpool need I mean his question basically is about signing centre-backs but do you think it's it's okay if Liverpool kind of dodge the January transfer window and stick with Fabinho, Matip or take a risk or do you think they should go into the market heavily and buy a centre defender It's a tricky it's a good question by Dieter, but it's a tricky situation that Liverpool find themselves in because
1: I don't I don't think they've missed Virgil van Dijk that much I don't really think I don't really think he came into the Everton game in which he got injured in in good form I think the Leeds game didn't start the season well against Leeds I don't know know the whole team were poor against Aston Villa and the result shows that but he wasn't in great form that day and that was the game before Everton so I don't actually think Liverpool have missed him yet and listen there's no doubt about it he's a world class player when it comes to the January transfer window whether they should or not not I think I think before before they go diving in, and buying anyone, they, they need to they need to think of a few things. First of all, I was Jurgen Klopp. I'd be looking around at the rest of the league, and I'd be looking at their form. Now, if Man City come to prominence and start winning games and chinning out victories, trees, which they are capable of, but I, I still don't think they're good enough to do it this season. Then yeah, then Liverpool need to need to need to react to that and need to act if there's a threat from Manchester City taking that league title or Tottenham continue in the form that they're doing or Chelsea actually get up to that level I don't think they're quite there yet and I don't think they've shown yet this season but they're in a good they're in a good run of form if, the, if them teams continue their form right up until January and Liverpool have got a genuine challenge on their hands then yes but it would be interesting to know whether they break their philosophy or their transfer strategy Because up until now, throughout Jürgen Klopp's reign, Liverpool have not gone out and bought a player, bought a position. They've gone out and bought the right player that they wanted. And they proved with Alisson and Van Dijk that they were happy to wait and use players at the club until that right man was available. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can get the right man in January. I don't know what that is yet. There's a there's a few there's a few names being uh, banded about. I'm personally as a football fan looking looking at that, thinking, well, I don't really think any of them are capable enough yet to for, to actually or or any of their names are actually worth the money or Liverpool trying to spend big money on them. So it'll be interesting to see whether they actually go with the short go for. A short-term void, as opposed to a, a long-term void. I think fabinho I think fabinho has been fantastic for them in that position. He actually played there before Van Dijk got injured, isn't he? Against Chelsea, to nullify the threat of Timo Werner. I mean, yeah. he is a man. Yeah, he is a man that played right back for Monaco as well under Leonardo Jardim. So he's not adverse to playing in defence. But it's whether it's it's not how much you, you miss the defender. It's how much you miss him in midfield as well that people are not forgetting. It's okay people saying, oh, we can get by with Fabinho, but by playing Fabinho in as a centre-half, you're taking him out of midfield, and that is then creating another void for Liverpool. So, I personally don't think they will, and I don't think they should unless they can go and get their number one aim as a football club. But, yeah, who do you think that is, Rickwick? I mean, is there a player in Europe, or a player... In the Premier League right now, that you would think right, he's not only going by him, not just because he'll do a job in Van Dijk's absence, but will he? Can he? He'll actually do a job long term. He'll pr- provide, have a competition, or be his partner.
0: I, I personally don't think, Chris. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I, haven't come across any player who's, who's, who's really someone that probably could fill in Van Dijk's shoes, or. Is a yeah. potential Van Dijk, uh, is, a, is a potential Virgil Van Dyke impact player. I mean, the there, there have been a lot of names linked uh, with Liverpool. Obviously, Ozan Kabak was also linked in the summer from Schalke, and they're in a dire situation, so that could be a cheap one. But I mean, I don't fancy him too much because he like like Michael Cox defined centre backs. He's more of a dog kind of defender who jumps, yeah. who's aggressive, and that's. And he's a bit reckless as well. So, I, I don't think we would really fancy him. Then there is uh, Kaleta Kaur from uh, Massey who was also thought of very highly. There was yeah. an article from Sam Maguire who's who's a Liverpool journalist or or a Liverpool writer basically. So, that that was a really good piece on him. But I, I don't think he necessarily would actually provide the impact that Virgil van Dijk has left. I mean, we've been linked with IAX Peter shows as well. But Again, yeah. I don't think. Again, that's 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 the profile that we need because his aerial win rate is really bad, and that's something Van Dyke, Norbomus, uh, sorry, that's something that Van Dyke and Gomez are really good at. So it's yeah. a very really tricky situation, like you said. But something that's really interesting is Joel Matip's fitness. He's someone who struggles with fitness, yeah. and he 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 he's he's most often out than in the squad. So. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's going to be really tricky, Chris. I mean, I am also completely confused. I've seen people like James Pearce, Simon Hughes, etc. say that Liverpool will wait for the right player, like you said. I mean, yeah. you shared the same opinion as they have. And that might most possibly be the case. But if Joel Matip has more struggles... Because you, you see him being arrested, taken out of day squads to manage him. So, I, I, I don't know... I really don't know if Liverpool could cope up with an injury to Matip now, so it, yeah. it's it's a really it's a really interesting case. I mean, I, I don't have any answer either. I mean, I would say yes, we should buy, but is there any viable option? Is there any good long term option? I don't know at all. I don't really know. We need yeah. we, we we need we need Mickey Edwards to again pull rabbit out of the hat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, and, and I'm
1: sure. Again, that's that's brings me back to that in my point. Yeah, I mean he's very good at, at his job. The recruitment at Liverpool has been spot on, so it would be it would be quite strange to see them go go against that strategy and buy a short term, uh, buy a player who only provides, uh, who's only there on the short term basis, or comes in with a, a transfer under short term vision. But may, maybe that player is available in January. We don't know. Like I said, Liverpool have pulled a few surprises over the years with the transfers, and uh, and they are very efficient in getting their transfers done. So, so maybe, maybe, maybe they they know the answer already. And but I'd be surprised if if they didn't try and hold off until the summer, unless something happens to Van Dijk's injury. In terms of, surely he'll be a bit more. He'll, he'll be a bit further along. In his rehab, it, in his rehab, come January, uh, I still don't expect him to play this season. But they get confirmation that he is going to be ready and up and running next season. I personally don't think they will by by anyone. I think they'll see it out. But you know, you just never know. You, I mean, I'm trying to think of players now while I'm speaking to you in the Premier League. Every link that I see Liverpool get, every player that I see get linked with Liverpool. Is seen to be in abroad or in or the French league or the Italian league or Spanish league. I'm not actually seeing any players getting linked with them from the Premier League, and they're quite good at buying Premier League players. It'd be interesting to know whether they would actually take a look at Conor Cody at Wolves. But even then, he he plays predominantly in a back three, so for, for him to bring bring him in and who into a team that plays pre, only with a back four. Again, it's risky. It's risky.
0: And to do it in January as well, it's completely risky. Yeah, 100%. And moving on to the final topic of the podcast, Chris, before winding up, the five substitutes rule. I mean, Klopp yeah. has been lamenting he he had a go at Des Kelly this past week, which yeah. I didn't think was, was quite fair because Kelly yeah. can't do anything. And that was probably... Not required being, I mean, raging at Kelly. But again, the point that he made was probably perfect. Playing on a Wednesday night and again, Saturday, Lens time kickoff, it's not good. So, yeah. So, five, yeah, five, I'm,
1: yeah
0: sorry,
1: no, no, sorry five, me, to interrupt. I was going to say, just, just to, I mean, I agree with Klopp there because there's no reason why Everton and Leeds couldn't play at 12.30 and Liverpool and Brighton played at half-half. I know it's different broadcasters, Sky and BT, but there's not absolutely no reason why the Premier League shouldn't be intervening there and saying, well, "Hold on, a team is playing in Europe, and you've got them playing 12:30 when you've got two teams who are not in Europe playing at half hour." Right, right. I so, mean, you had
0: yeah. you had Guardiola, you had Solskjaer, you had Lampard. Say this before this. I mean, earlier this season as well. And this is something that, that t- brings us to the main question here, because the five substitutes rule. You see every single league, apart from the Premier League, having every single top five league. I mean, in Europe, while yeah. the Premier League, the league on Serie, A, the Bundesliga, La Liga, all these leagues have the five substitutes rule. Even the UEFA yeah. Champions League, even yeah. the UEFA Champions League, and the Premier League says no. Yes, I know that the clubs decided to go against it. They all said, okay, let's let's just stick with three subs, but. Obviously, the number of hamstring injuries are shooting up. Brighton, who play once a week, they had Neil Mopai down early in the match to hamstring. They lost Mopai to a hamstring injury. The number of hamstring yeah. injuries are shooting up. You have this three substitutes rule. Do you yeah. think… Do, I mean, th- there's been some really good arguments that's made by the likes of uh, Chris Feiler, et etc. But do you think, based on the conditions for the players… For the players, do you think the five substitutes rule should be brought in as soon as possible in the Premier League?
1: No. Not because... Just because they could, they didn't start the season with it. So they've made that decision now. And it sort of discredits the competition a little bit if they pull it in now. Because other teams could have looked at it or a lot less profile teams or sort of teams who are at the bottom end of the Premier League could have said, well... If you would have told us that we're going with the 5 subs, we could have got more players in the summer. We might have took more of a a risk and gone and got more players in just to back up our squads. Uh, I, I've seen a, a, a few people mentioning budgets, etc. Yeah, that that is a that is a point to be made. That, but it, it's not so much the the team spending the money. It's the teams now have not got the option to actually go out and get more players to accommodate the five substitutions, so they can't bring it in now. What they should have done is either brought it in 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 the summer, all of them, and said, "Right, yeah, we'll do that now." Or maybe maybe they bring it back in in January, but maybe they extend the window to allow teams to buy additional players in terms of numbers to actually accommodate the five substitutes. Five substitutes. Now, again, like you, said, you you brought a very good point up. There's a lot of pro and con pros and cons to the arguments depending on which way you look at it or which team you support Jorgen Klopp made a very good point and said I won't use it to my advantage but in the Brighton game I would have been taking Robertson on uh, and bringing someone else on a a like for like substitution now he may well do that but I'm telling you now Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho won't do that if they're 1-0 up in a game or things like that they will use the 5 substitutions to switch the tactics and switch the formation which will then give them the advantage that yeah. they need to go and win the game, so not everyone will think of it in your in your your Klopp's way. I I get the the need for it given uh, given the teams in Europe and the competition and the amount of fixtures that they've got. But saying that as well, they were in Europe last year. Yeah, at the beginning of the season, and I do you know what I mean? So. What what makes it any anything different this year? I suppose the lack of a preseason, a little bit probably adds to that. But I I don't know, I don't, I really don't know. It's so it's such a it's such a sort of prominent issue at the moment within football. And like you said, you've made the you've you've made the best point saying that there's a lot there's a lot of pro and pros and cons to to each side of the arguments. It, it yeah. really is difficult. The only thing it my answer to the, the question is they can't bring it in right now. If they bring it in, they can only bring it in during the transfer window when the team, all teams have got a chance to react to it and say, OK, then, well, we, we might get one or two extra loan signings in or we might try and get a couple of short-term signings in to accommodate the five subs that were allowed five subs. Right. Uh, that way, then, there's a little bit more integrity to it. as well, If you brought it in right now, sort of starting this week, then it's obviously the big teams or the, the teams of the bigger squads are going to get clearly more advantage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I think there's this this fair arguments on both sides of the coin here. And there's something that, that the, these clubs need to sort out in the Premier League meeting. The best thing that they can do is sort out the scheduling, the match yeah. scheduling and... That
1: that's something that can be definitely done. So yeah, yeah. Again, there's there's. I feel sorry for them with the broadcasting, but the, all the Premier League, the pre, the way the Premier League operates and all the teams within the Premier League, they've got only got themselves to blame with the broadcasting. They give the broadcasters all the power because of the money that they accept from them. They can't accept three hundred million. I know it's not that. Might not be that figure from BT, and then say, all right, give me the money. But hold on, we're not we're not happy with the way you're arranging the fixtures. That's what BT and the broadcasters are paying for. Turn down the money at the start and say no. Don't give us that amount of money. But we're having a bit more say in when you plan these fixtures. But the Premier League clubs are just they they, they rely heavily too much on that TV revenue now, and they've got themselves into this now. The broadcasters have got all the power, and they will continue to have until the teams in the league say now we're going to take less money off you, but we're having a bit more of a say over the the fixture scheduling
0: yeah absolutely and i mean yeah. th- th- this there's a lot of things behind the whole uh behind the whole broadcasting issue that the, the, there are a lot of people involved behind that as well the deal was signed pre covid as well so that, that yeah. that's also that's also something that has to be taken into account so yeah but that brings us now to the end that brings us to the end of this podcast, really. It's yeah. been a pleasure speaking to you, Chris. I mean, it's been quite a long episode, but we we'll discussed some really important stuff. And that's that's what matters the most, uh, content is King.
1: Yeah, good good, yeah. good show, good show. Uh, sorry for going on a bit there. Sorry, yeah. to, sorry <laughs> to the listeners as well, but you must know if you bring Everton into the discussion, it's going to be a long <laughs> one, I think.
0: I, I mean, I I I'll I'll sum up Chris's long Everton you know uh, discussion into a simple sentence. What Chris meant was that Everton are back where they belong. That's mid-table. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah, basically.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm I'm just joking. I'm just joking with some friendly banter here. So yeah. Yeah. So that brings yeah. us to the end of this episode. Thank you to all our patrons as well for giving us your extra support. If you love our content, if you want to take your support to the next level, if you want to ask questions to the special guests and to us as well on every podcast, be a patron today. And thank you once again to all the listeners as well. Until the next episode, bye-bye. Take care.